Welcome to episode one of the Technology Architecture Solutions Engineering Podcast with our special guest, Justin Snyder. Mr. Snyder, would you like to give a quick intro before we jump in? Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Justin, uh, Solutions Architect in the Office 365 space, SharePoint, uh, Digital Workplace. Happy to be here today with everyone and, and talking at night. Thank you, Justin. Also from uh, the Tace Architect side, we have myself and also Michael Askins. Michael, would you like to give a little intro? Yeah, good day. little intro. Um, most people that are following us now in the early stages know who I am. Um, I am an architect for cloud solutions, uh, specifically Azure and 365. Um, side, quick side note, and I'm surprising you on this, uh, Mr. Wentworth. Uh, just want to do a quick uh, thank you to everybody that's helped us and encouraged us to get to this point and actually laid us down. Um, we have really good hopes for what we can do with this, uh, reaching out to the community, uh, building better consultants, building better technologists. So uh, thank you to everyone out there that's have encouraged us. Um, and we will put some of those people in the show notes too. So thank you, Mr. Wentworth. Absolutely. So uh, jumping right in today, um, we really want to talk about uh, Ignite. Obviously, it's uh, top of mind for most people in this industry uh, this week and in the coming weeks. And one of our people here on the on the call today, Michael, is actually calling us from Orlando, uh, being on site there at Ignite. So, Michael, what can you tell us about you know the road so far and and how it's the same from last year, how it's different, and basically what it is? Because I've never been to Ignite, and I'm kind of jealous. Yeah, for sure. So it's in Orlando and it's humid. So it is that. It's definitely humid. Um, it's actually a great gathering of, of technologists of all different um, skill levels. You have skill levels from zero to 900 all in the same event. There's 30,000 people who are here not to just, you know, drink the Kool-Aid of Microsoft and say, oh, look, Satya had a great keynote and you know, get all the splash. They're here to learn. They're here to network, to build relationships. So, you know, that's a couple of the things that I find is like super valuable as a technologist, not even as a, as a consulting company or somebody who's looking to, you know, grow um, connections. Personally, it's it's fulfilling to be able to see, you know, people from all over this world. I know there's Ignite the Tour, but people come from all over the world and come here to experience, you know, what the messaging is and how do I do this? And and you all look out for each other. So that's definitely a good thing. I know, Justin, you've been there before. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on just as a whole, these types of events? Yeah, so I've uh, been to many um, conferences that would be related to it um, before and it, uh, going to Ignite last year was my first year ever going to Ignite. Unfortunately, uh, did not go to this uh, get to go this year just due to, to work obligations. But um, overall, Ignite um, is just a whole different beast when you think of conferences. At least uh, for me, uh, the, like you said, with having over thirty thousand people there, most of which are not like any like Microsoft employees except the essential to uh, have those sessions. But it's just everyone that's not only like interested in learning about the tech, but everyone's just passionate about it at all at all levels, like you said. And it's it's nice to um, not necessarily um, just learn from those people, but be around those people and get, have conversations with them, go deeper into the products. They I know they have like they have uh, 
teams from each product um, there that like the people that are actually building the products that um, allow you to get right there with them and have conversations directly with the people that are responsible for building it. And, and like those opportunities, if nothing else, are, are worth the um, the effort and, and costs and, and dealing with the warm temperature uh, oh. <laughs> of going down to Orlando, uh, humid Orlando every year. Um, so definitely something I recommend for anyone like in the space. Um, it, it seems that they're like this year's um, is definitely messaged a little bit differently. Um, but overall, like experiencing with those large conferences, especially Ignite have been wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, Mr. Wentworth asked, what, what are some of the new things that are there? Um, so if you if you recall from when you were there, Justin, yep. the, they had the big viewing screen with the, the big lounge chairs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. They still have something similar to that. They have these really weird swing things, like chains. I don't know. It's hard to explain. You have to see a picture. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll post a picture somewhere. Silicon so. Valley of yeah <laughs> conference, it's, it's, right? It's, it's yeah, it's kind of odd. But uh, you know, the one thing that that I thought was really cool was when you when you got your swag bag, which is the backpack. I'm not going to even go there with that. But when you leave that little area. They had the, the diversity in tech people there with at tables, uh, which, first of all, I really appreciate the diversity in tech people. So, you know, it really makes makes it makes it easy for all different types of people. But it was really cool. They had these big bins. Right. And in one bin, it said. She, her, he, him, they, them. And then they had other bins that had talk to me anytime. Talk to me if you know me and not talking right now. So knowing that, you know, you, you would, how you want to be identified was like kind of cool. You pick the pin and it identifies you. And then you grabbed all these, these like conversational, like, do I need to interact with this person? It was like, Oh no, they got the flag up of not to interact with them, uh, which was, it was kind of cool. And actually you saw lots of people actually wearing them uh, around, you know, like, Hey, don't talk to me. And I, I just don't want to be bothered because I'm like heads down or what have you. I thought that was kind of a neat take on, uh, on especially conferences large. Cause you know, when you get into spaces and areas where you're eating meals with a lot of people, you don't know, uh, some people feel comfortable enough to reach out with their hands and say, Hey, this is who I am. What do you do? And some people just kind of want to have their head down. So I kind of thought that was cool. I thought it was a neat thing. Yeah. I, um, specifically in the, the diversity thing, I think, I mean, obviously, in, in like 2019, that's that's a place um, that has a lot of change and a lot of disruption that's going on. But I, I definitely believe Microsoft has a, a adapted a mindset and an approach to being completely inclusive to, to everyone, no matter whatever reason. And I think that um, is just underpinned by what their what their mission is, which, uh, if I remember correctly, it's like to bring a to bring empower or bring a computer to every person in every world and every uh, demographic or something like that. And, yeah. and it's just inclusive of just everyone. And, and that's something that is nice to have in a community that is not about politics or anything. It's just about the tech and you still have that inclusiveness and that, um, that ability to have that very 2019, um, uh, approach the things um yep. it's awesome absolutely i agree with that I think, it, sorry I think that, yeah i think that too i was just going to say that you know from the 
diversity side, absolutely. But also from the tech side, it's interesting to do that at conferences because there's a time and a place for selling and networking and and discussion and, and stuff like that. But there's also definitely value in just kind of digesting what you're you're experiencing down there, you know, relaying those messages back home to your company and the people that aren't there um, and, and also just kind of digesting it internally and, and, you know, reading up on things and you know, getting some some podcasts out like this one or also some, um, you know, tweets and, and blog posts and stuff like that. So it's it's a nice way to uh, let people know, don't bug me without having to be rude and say, don't bug me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, speak, speaking of that, that messaging there, one of the things that was super cool that I found different this year than the last year's the videos for the sessions are available like within hours of the mm -hmm. session happening. Um, I, I shared some back to our team site that I thought was valuable that I want to watch again. I know you can bookmark it in the app and all the happy stuff. Uh, please save your comments in the threads. Don't understand that, but there's my workflow is if this is super critical, important, I want to drop it somewhere where I can. So I downloaded it from my phone, downloaded the MP4 and punched it on a team site and it was like, boom, it's there. It was like awesome. So I know you could have done that sometimes for certain things in the past, but like everything's available and it's, it was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, that's oh. no, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I was going to ask you, you said that they, they still have this space at the, 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 like in the center to watch a lot. Do you, uh, in, but it got smaller. Do you, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just a, like trying to, because I, you, you, you and I both know we definitely took advantage of that space uh, <laughs> yes, to watch did. like eight sessions at once. <laughs> uh, but like, what are you, what are your thoughts on maybe that transition that they're doing with that space? Yeah. So if you recall, they had that space, and then there was that large open area of tables and things of that nature. Then they had a meal mm -hmm. center. They have added a significant amount of. Um, display type stuff. When I say display, it's not like here's an Xbox truck. I mean, they have a John Deere tractor here this year. Um, one of our former coworkers uh, would love that and has posted accordingly. But uh, the one thing that uh, they did was is they broke out the Microsoft sections were broken out a little more logically, mm. and they were a little bit more uh, targeted. So instead of going and standing in the line for infrastructure as a service. And then hoping you get the right person, they had like nine desks where you had your Linux infrastructure as a service, lift and shift infrastructure infrastructure as a service, legacy 2K8. So they had various, like they spread it out and they presented people uh, with their expertise a little more efficiently, I think. So that's one thing that I, just from like reading, of not being there and just from like reading all of the posts and reading everything that's came out this year, one thing that I noticed that's, and maybe it's just how if I'm overanalyzing it, but if you look at what they released last year, um, adding night versus what they're releasing this year, it seems that this year um, is far more solution focused. So mm -hmm. like as opposed to last year where it was, OK, we have these products and here are all these new features you could do with these products, which is great and awesome and, and what have you. Um, but this year was more, OK, here's this whole new product. Uh, and here's everything it can do and here's when it's available and here's how you can administer it and all the way down the line, like full stack applications or services, um, or here's an existing service and here's how we're completely rebranding re it or shifting it into this solution that we now built out, for example, the whole power platform thing. Um, 
And it just seems that overall, that's it's sort of a different approach to the messaging with uh, Ignite this year. Do you do you get a sense that that's the case, being the boots on the ground there, or um, do you think it's just the, the times? No, absolutely. You're you're 100 right. It is it is a pivot in messaging, and um, w- without going down the rabbit hole of how Microsoft internally operates and which product group falls under which category of modern workplace or Azure, you're seeing. You're seeing the logical coupling of things that people want to do presenting in the way in which organizations want to consume them. And they're delivering, to your point, they're delivering messaging that matches that. So, I mean, there is one thing I have an exception to that I think it was totally missed the mark, but it, it, I'm going to talk about it right now because it's, it's really been chewing on, like a cricket on the back of my skull. Okay, Superman on a piece of glass, a piece of quartz. Uh, it, that's cool and all. And I understand that. That's neat that you can put a whole movie on a piece of quartz and it's near indestructible. Um, but I wouldn't lead with that as like the the room when that messaging came out was kind of like, oh, okay, that's neat. That's cool. You can do that. It wasn't like, holy crud, look what you're doing. There was more of a reaction when when they released the information that unlike other providers and competitors of them, we're going to take the quantum computing world, even though we're not ready to commoditize that yet, we're nowhere near that, but we're going to start having companies and data people start working in the framework and the language that will apply to that technology. People were excited about, they're like, really? That's great. I mean, yes, the big splash of the piece of glass was like, that's neat and all that, that equates, but there was more, at least the the viewing area I was in, there was more of a reaction and people kind of like, wanting to cheer like, hey, we can actually have a new language that's meaningful and we can start now. So when that does become available, we can just plug it in. So just throwing that out there as well. Yeah, I, I and I think just even more like that just, again, just agrees with what they're doing in terms of like empowering everyone everywhere. It's just yep. the fact that, hey, I, it doesn't, we, it's not necessarily about us and it's not about the company. It's not about us making money because everyone knows how well <laughs> Microsoft is doing now these days. Yep. Um, it's about every other person. And like that mentality itself is obviously very positive and, and it's very productive, but in a way it's very smart of them because that's going to allow them to work out the bugs earlier, work out find find features that they would never find but their customers would find and it just like just creates an ecosystem where it's not like them giving us a product it's them building a product with the community with the people that are, are passionate about it which is just stellar if you ask me yep absolutely so what do you think of that news uh mr wentworth i think to kind of go along with what justin just said but taking it from the business perspective rather than, you know, the technical perspective, I think it's a pretty smart business play on their, their part as well, because they're taking something that is nowhere near ready to commoditize and making people interact with it. So when they are ready to commoditize it, it's going to be a very easier jump, I think, for them getting a return on that investment than it would be if, you know, just when it was released, then they start getting into this new language and start actually doing development in that regard. So I think from a business perspective, that's a, a good move as well. Yeah, for sure. So so I'm also going to go back to that little cricket thing that's in my head, Superman on glass or on courts. I, I, the, when, when, they, when he held it up and all that kind of stuff, immediately my brain went to that 1990s movie, Hackers, 
<laughs> with Angelina Jolie and somebody else in it when they were really young. And it's that whole like when you, you're hacking a firewall and the skull and crossbones pop up and then you're going into the optical system and there's a room with all these panels of glass with the lights glowing underneath it. That's where my brain went immediately. Uh, no show my age there, but I was like, that's nuts. That's insane. Um, it's actually cool that they can do that, but again, not noteworthy. So both of your points, I agree. Quantum, um, it's either going to bring about massive change uh, in the way we do things, or it's going to bring out the singularity. So let's hold on to your seats and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to your devices. Yep. Yep. It's just like quantum is, is one of the, one of the big bets I think they have. It's what's well, like quantum computing, AI and machine learning and virtual, or I think it's virtual, not virtual around uh, probably mixed reality. I think is the third one that I know Satya is like leading as the three, or at least Ed is leading as his three um, big wins for the next, I think the next decade, he said. And if they can, like, quantum just changes a, a lot of everything if it happens. I mean, you think about, like, it will have the parallels to what we have now in terms of, or what we had in the past when you think about when we had these huge um, systems that, um, like, these computers that were the size of rooms. Uh, way back, Mike, you probably you probably know of those days. <laughs> hey. um, <laughs> and it, it was basically client server, and you you had a machine that connected to that that machine itself, and then you you use that as your compute. But now with quantum, uh, it's going to be this big bigger factor enterprise level, and I I think, and this is just like my guess on quantum is that. We're going to see these huge supercomputers that are in these rooms that are either in, in warehouses somewhere hosted by Microsoft as a service or whatever, and they're you're going to use them from your machine for that that sort of situation. But then we're going to have that sort of that same path that we found with um, like IBM system uh, where uh, IBM systems servers and stuff to that client server mentality. And we're going to slowly move from that again. We're going to go back to that model and then slowly work to like quantums in my phone and, or I won't have a phone at that point, but I, I digress, but It'll be implanted yeah. in your brain, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I I'll be born with it somehow. Who knows? But yeah, it's um, quantum working is, is, will change so much. So you brought um, up something interesting there. I want to touch on. Um, so yeah, going back to the big giant rooms, what if we skip that going back to that client server relationship and we just offer it as a microtransaction because that framework to do microtransactions is there now with, especially with Azure, right? So you're, you'll, you'll lease nanoseconds of quantum time as opposed to having this something out there churning away. Cause that's going to take, if you think of how, like how the lifespan of one of those ion things are, and, and I'm throwing my hands in the air, all confused, like, because you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not one of those people, right? Yeah, 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 me either. One of the things that you know, the life there's a lot of care and feeding for a system like that. So why don't you, you? I mean, it's got a finite lifetime. It's not like a processor you just hope. I mean, it's gonna have a finite lifetime. So microtransaction the crap out of it. Yeah, I mean, and they already have, like you said, they already have the model for that for <laughs> almost everything that is available in 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 the in, in Azure, and in, in I mean, not even Azure, but every product they offer is is in yep. like a subscription, either a subscription service or microtransactioned or measured down to some compute or storage metric, and um, 
I, they can charge for it and do microtransactioning, and that's going to make sense because that's what they're doing now. What I'm curious to see is that if it's done in the same way where it's just like a premium, and I, I think they've alluded to that this is how they're doing it, but it's just like, oh, you have faster compute. Like you have the tiering and compute already, so you just add a tiering compute where you're using quantum, you're le- leasing quantum compute time. But they also have an opportunity of like saying you have you have this resource um, for this, and you're like not necessarily leasing a microtransaction. You're you're like leasing the the ownership of that machine period of, for this period of time every set cycle or whatever. Yeah, that's pretty uh, cool. Because I think what quantum will help a lot in in terms of like processing. If you think of like industries that have a lot of data processing. It's medical, it's financial, it's like banking systems. And we know banking systems right now are still very, very outdated and legacy. But it's quantum... Foreign, foreign bad actors. <laughs> hacking quick, passwords. <laughs> right? And quantum like allows you to like process so much faster. And I think when you think about seasonal, like, oh, we need to update our, our tapes or do whatever nightly, like everything that's like needs to be fast is typically a seasonal thing. And so you're going to find, I think, that people want to lease this same period of time every day or every night or every week so they can do their batch processing. And then it's going to like once that is at a like a stable place, then you're going to find that. It's not just used for batch processing, it's used for all enterprise processing, and then it's used for consumer processing, and it'll just, like, slowly, like, we found with everything in tech, in Moore's Law or whatever, um, it'll just get small. And I, I think it'll happen really fast, um, but, like, once they, once they have a machine, once it is commoditized, like you said, it's gonna, it'll be wildfire. Yes, it will. Agreed. Mr. Wentworth, do you have anything else on this? Can we put can we put uh, quartz glass to bed, quantum to bed, and uh, talk about uh, teams? Yeah. So you mentioned that there was a very heavy teams presence, and I would agree with the the threads that I've been been reviewing. So um, off the off the top of your head, what's the what's your favorite teams edition from the conference so far? Hmm. Well, that's a leading question if there ever was one, because you know the thing, <laughs> thing I want the most, right? Mr. Wentworth, what's the thing I want the most in Teams? Private channels. Second, the second most. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, so everybody wants private, private channels. channels. That's weird, by the way. Private private channels. That's just a given. That's like always the top. But aside <laughs> from that, what what is the thing that has been getting in my bonnet the most? Background blur, custom. Oh yes, yes, you have been on a tangent on that lately. <laughs> I like so excited for that, right? Because and there's like there's a couple reasons for that, right? We're we all of us on this on this uh, episode, we all are a dis- desperate group of people that work wherever, whenever, however, we can. And so they touched on something called professionalism during the presentations about like they gloss right over like my people can work anywhere with professionalism and blah, blah, blah. Well, they're starting to talk about like you can take a voice line and not use an SBC anymore from your SIP provider. You can go straight into teams. And as long as you're teams only, you don't even need to buy SBC. And they're like, 
background blur, it was a more exciting yay for us, um, or at least for me. So I thought that was cool. The one thing that I thought was a bit underwhelming, if, if I will, now I'm a big teams fan. I love teams. And I don't know how much Justin or Mr. Wentworth has seen about the frontline workers bits for teams. Um, it looks like they just kind of mashed in Staff Hub. Because it looks like Staff Hub. It acts like Staff Hub. It, the, it's the identical feature set of Staff Hub. Yeah, I'm guessing they did. Um, but I think sort of like not, I don't think obviously very connected to it. But I think is very connected to it that the whole first line story is that um, this introduction of a fluid framework. So basically, I, I think you're familiar, Mike. You probably are, are as well as the the whole adaptive card framework for teams um, that allows you to like basically send use using APIs, using bot framework, using a bunch of other services, send like a very standard type of data or information that a user can interact with. Um, in teams. So like, for example, um, it, like in teams and adaptive cards, it's, oh, hey, um, this approval came in. Do you approve or do you not approve? And there's buttons on that and, and what have you. Um, but, and that's super successful. And a lot of people are using it. Um, but what this fluid framework is that kind of qu not quietly got announced because there are sessions, whole sessions around it. Um, but what this does is basically bring that as an extensible API slash like framework to not just teams but to the office apps to office 365 to sharepoint to um the desktop apps all of that and basically you now have this engaging situation where you can completely build out for example you're, you're talking like first line workers like um in the field type of forms or checklists or whatever um built into word documents or built into what have you and it can be standardized across your different platforms and i think that will actually help the first line worker situation a little bit more because it's not just going to be a, like team staff hub where you see your you see your shifts you see um who's on your team and and what have you and you can you chat with them and tra trade shifts uh, which staff hub mostly was but it'll allow you to have this sort of first line worker connectedness, connectedness where you can also put shove in this business process that you have in a way that's integrated very easily, whether you're using it through a Word document or a, a, a Teams chat or a bot or whatever, you have that ability to surface it. And yeah, I mean, I've never been passionate about the first line worker space um, just because I've always been like, give me everything and I want to do the coolest things with the tech. Um, but I think that is an important part of the story overall, right? Because um, the more seats and the more lights they can turn on with uh, people connected, the more they can provide everyone more contextual information, which um, I, I assume you two have read into the whole Project Cortex stuff, yep. um, which I have some back and forth opinions on. But that's, again, another attempt at them trying to um, not just have static structure and, and information, but have it be engaging and also um, tailored to you, your job, your actions, your process, et cetera. So they had a demo. I, I sat through one of the frontline worker bits because mm -hmm. 
the day job has some questions around that. So um, I was like, you know, I had I had a gap and I didn't want to walk 1.9 miles to this other <laughs> session that I thought would yield little. So I found one that was close. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to that. So I went to it. And at first it was kind of like yawn um, staff up. But to your point, like they had a use case right there where they had had a defect in a product and they were able to take a picture of it and send it off. But they also showed that use case of a medical facility where they had like a rash on someone's arm and they took a picture of it and it did some sort of MLAI work on the back end to say, hey, it could be these things. What do you think? If not, push a button, escalate. So, I mean, to your point, yes, I agree that. The one thing I, I, the first thing that came to mind from an impression perspective was that the features that they're really, really, really promoting aside from that was availability. So being able to lock people out of shift so they, or they're not responding on teams the, you know, make sure that if you are not on shift that you can't access data, everything's, uh, you get these, the, these pin logins with your phone. So you don't even have a username and a password. And it seemed very GDPR to me, which is okay. I mean, I agree with a lot with, with GDPR, but it seems like a lot of those features were built for uh, the non-American workforce where a lot of American companies have the expectation of their workers to be available whenever they can be. Whereas in other countries, it's you're available when you're working and then you're not available when you're not. Mm -hmm. So there was a layering of that. There was like a heavy emphasis on that. Speaking of like when you're working and when you're not, did you read the recent article that they published around Microsoft doing the one month, four day week test? Yes. Over in Japan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, I, I, what, what are your thoughts on it? Because I, I mean... I think it's an, a great idea, um, but obviously it's it dependent on the person. Um, but yeah, just curious your thoughts on that. So I'll give mine, then I'll let Mr. Wentworth go. Um, so I am the kind of person that um, hmm, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I never stop. I can, I can be self-critical. I don't stop working ever. So not that that's a good thing or not that that's a bad thing. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm always engaged. And especially usually at things that are going on, I need to be available for people. So I make myself available. There's very few times in a year that I'm not available. Um, so to me, personally, I, that does not work in my workflow, my personal workflow. But do I have that expectation on others? I do not. And a really wise HR person once told me, that it doesn't matter if you don't have that expectation on people, people are following your example. So um, that is a true statement. And that's things that I need to be cognizant of. But, but personally, my workflow, that doesn't work. Would I be apt to have other people on my team be that way? Absolutely. As long as we're covering what we need to cover and we shift change that we have, it's not like, hey, Friday, nobody works, you know, I mean, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I it kind of makes me think sort of around remote work too. Um, and this kind of getting a little off topic. So I'll try and be quick, and then we can rein it back in. But um, by working remote, you're able to, I feel like in a work situation, understand what your work, like how your when you're most effective or how your optimal, what is your optimal 
work environment as a person. Um, one thing that I, and you, I think, because um, with the conversations that we've had previously, I think um, thinking back to them alluded to this. Um, but from my experience working remote, I, I've definitely noticed that I'm a very like bursty type person when it comes to work. I'll like, either, I'll have this very, very, like I'll have this period where I'm uh, performing above what I, my average would be, but it's very like well done, intense time. Like I'm very focused, locked in, et cetera. Um, but then, then the rest of that day is just like very casual work. And, but I find that like making myself be very focused and, and turn out a lot of work in a short period of time, like just works better for me. And I think what the four day work week can do if is, is that if there's more people like that, it allows them to be more bursty in that and be more productive in that shorter time period and still get the same or even more work, which they found done. It just opens up like um, that understanding that one, we all learn differently, but two, we all work differently um, in yeah. a natural state. And I think that's just being open like that as an organization is super cool. Yeah, for sure. And just to stay on this tangent for another 10 seconds, I don't have a source. I can find one, but like, I think it was like three to five years ago or so, there was an article that came out that said that the top performers for a company are only productive for just under six hours out of an eight hour workday. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that's your top performers. I mean, you have your anomalies of your people that just do nothing but, you know, turn wrenches or whatever they do all day long. But I mean, on average, your best performers are giving you six hours and that's your best. So your average is less than that. So Mr. Wentworth, what are your takes on the four day? So I actually didn't see this article. So are we talking four day, 32 hours or four day, 40 hours doing 10 hours in four days? Four day, 32 hours. Okay. So actually getting more personal time back. Um, well, uh, spoiler alert. For the rest of the podcasts that are sure to follow, um, Michael and I think very similarly, which is why we like to have guests on as often as possible. So I work very in a, a similar mindset as as Michael, where I and also Justin, I'm also very bursty, but I'm also just available when I need to be. Um, and I think that, you know, with Microsoft's latest vision and the technologies that they're investing in, um, it makes that easier to do. So, um, you know, for example, we just recently had a, a situation where we had to make a change um, really quick on a client site. And I could do that from my phone while I was at the gym at lunchtime because I needed a break from the day. And I made a, a very big critical change on a client's environment from my cell phone on the treadmill at like 1230. Um, and being able to do that is pretty awesome. It means that you know, even if you are in quote personal time or on lunchtime or, or taking a gym break in the middle of the day, um, I'm still able at a moment's notice to jump in, fix something, and then go back to what I'm doing. Uh, and that just works well for me. Um, I like being able to do that. Um, some people though, um, to give my opinion on that specifically, some people do want to work and kind of shut off. And it really depends on, on two things. I think it depends on person type. And I think it depends on what you're doing. Um, obviously, knowledge workers um, like ourselves uh, kind of have that you know flexibility um, where other industries don't. You kind of have to be where you need to be to, to do that job or, you know, to interact with people, you know. So um, 
it really depends on the industry and it really also depends on the person. But I think I, I, I tend to agree with, with Justin, if, if it works with the person um, and, and the works, the workforce that you have, the staff that you have um, and, you know, you're giving them their time back. I feel like they will feel like they owe you something more in those 32 hours than just having a 40 hour week. Um, and as long as you're hiring the right people, I think that you'll, uh, get the same or even more productivity in those 32 hours and you'll have a happier staff because they get three day weekends all the time. So, um, most of the most use cases, I think that'll, that'll be positive. Um, where it won't work is if you have people like, like us, where we're kind of bursty and we work whenever we, we need to, or want to, or can, um, or if you don't really have the right staff that picture that as great, I have a three day weekend and don't think they need to, to give something back for that. Along that note, um, we're toying with implementing potentially in 2020 a air quote benefit. I shouldn't have said air quote, that's so lame, but I'm going to say it anyways. Air quote benefit uh, to our team. It's called a workcation. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. So I've, I've been deeply vested in making sure that people are happy and we want to make sure that things are good. So at this place, we're looking to lay down a plan that says, oh, yeah, you get your PTO or whatever, but we, you also have the option like every 18 months or so to take a workation. Well, we'll cover you being out there. Just give me four hours a day and you can just go wherever you want because the way we're connected, you can work from wherever you want. You're still going to get credit for your full whatever your time is that you would be working for the company, but yeah, that's kind of along that line of like giving back and making people feel valuable, but you know, they're going to give you back in return too. So mm -hmm. it would be nice to get your regular vacation and then, Oh yeah, I guess what I'm going on my workation. I'll tell you, surely wouldn't be in a humid place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I forget where I read this. I don't, I, I, I don't remember what company it was, but I read, um, so it was a large, definitely a larger enterprise company. And, and a lot of like bigger companies do sort of hackathons where, they like you have like a, a couple days during a normal work week and you just get into groups and you um, are given a prompt from the, the company and saying, hey, build us some build something that um, you're passionate about that you think we can do and build it in these couple days. And and possibly it'll get worked into our product or into our services and you get a cut of it um, and you win if in. Um, it's just like a normal hackathon, but in, in terms of companies, what I've read, though, was that a company was starting to do like a sort of what you're talking about a workcation but it was like a work hackathon vacation where you you could sign up and they're like okay we'll send you to um somewhere somewhere gorgeous not humid maybe um for <laughs> a week or two weeks and you go there and you work with a team of maybe people from your team maybe maybe people from not on your team and you work maybe half of that vacation um or even a third of that vacation doing that product and, and validating that product, but then the rest of it um, for your service and for the time you're working, working for us and for your own life and, and whatever, here's the vacation since you're already out there. Um, and from what I read, it was, a, it was a pretty successful program. And I think like what you're talking about, there's, there's a thing there, there's a mindset around like work-life balance where you need you need to be always connected and you you are always connected or you need to have your work time and your off time and I think um, 
there's a help there, like the traditional sense would be you're on your work time and then you have your off time and that's it. Um, but with the technology wave and like knowledge workers, we're, we're finding ourselves super, super, super connected and always connected. And I think what this does is that introduces like that sort of mentality, but in a way that comes across as healthy and comes across as, Hey, we're actually going to give you purely vacation time and we don't want you connected. Cause you know, Mike and uh, Mike, we've had customers that we've, uh, worked with maybe previously before where we, we reach out to them um, and they are in other countries that work. And when they're on vacation, they, like you said, they're on vacation. You don't get a response or like companies even build things in where if someone has an out of office, their email doesn't get sent to them no matter if they want it or not. Um, and I think like by doing that type of stuff and having like sort of this place where you are working for us, but it's not work it's your life and you want your employees to enjoy their lives. So you create a, a scenario and an opportunity for them to enjoy that, but also contribute and ha be a part of something that's greater to them in, in a company. So definitely like a, I, I know, like you said, the quote unquote benefit, but definitely something that's like super cool. And I think like encouraging a, a different ways to, um, pull out, not necessarily motivation out of people, but like pull passion out of people. Um, is really good. And in situations like that, not only do you get cool, get to do cool things, get a vacation, you also bond and build rapport with everyone that you're working with, right? In that little project. So awesome idea. I think you should do it. Um, <laughs> because like, I, I think you just get like, when you invest in someone, they're going to invest in you back, right? And yeah. that's like doing that. You're investing not on what their work product is, um, which you are in a way, but you're investing in them. And I think that's like, that always speaks volumes to anyone that you're working with or working for or helping work. I, I don't know how else to phrase it, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Makes sense. So th this, this is kind of like a natural segue to one of our topics of what is a modern workplace. So that was kind of that was kind of a loaded question, and its intent was to be loaded because, like we know here down at Ignite, there's a lot of talk about modern workplace, modern workplace, and uh, there's that there's always that you know tangential connection to the the people factor and enabling people to do whatever that the product is doing and and what have you but there's more to it than that so like we touched on you know like work-life balance and making sure that you know what does that mean for a person to have the tools they need um and th that's another logical segue to one of our other topics but i'm just gonna ask that question straight out like it's it's it seems to have, in my opinion, changed. So let's go around. Let's go around the table, Mr. Wentworth. Like to you, what is a modern workplace, both tech and non-tech? Yeah, that's a uh, a good question. I think from from my perspective, a modern workplace is is really two things. One is tech, and one is non-tech. So I think those will fit well. Um, and I I didn't prep for this question, so this will be off the cusp as well. So. Um, I think a modern workplace from a tech perspective, at least it's many things, let me just preface it. But in, in my mind, the most important thing is um, working from anywhere on any device, um, I think is is critical. Um, I have three different computers that I use at different times, a tablet, a phone. And like I said, it, it allows me to do things that fit my workflow, like, um, you know, 
making a mission critical change at a, a client site from my phone, um, getting a Teams message from from you, Michael, about that thing that needs changed, um, you know, and being able to just pick up the device and, and start working is is something that I think is different from how I used to work, even me, um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was I needed my work computer to do my work stuff and I need my personal computer to do my personal stuff. And, you know, I carried two phones at one point, business phone and a, a personal phone. And, and now that's just blending. And like you said, that kind of relates to the previous topic of whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I find it a good good thing for the way I work. So a modern work, workplace for me is kind of blending that line between between work and, and just life. Um, and it works really well for my workflow. Um, modern workplace from a non-tech perspective, but powered by tech is being able to work from anywhere on any device with people that are physically very far apart or even close together, but you don't have to be in the same physical location. So right now we're, we're in a Teams meeting creating this podcast with people from, uh, I don't know, Justin, we're probably a couple of miles away, but you know, Michael is a thousand miles away right now. Um, and, you know, I've done conferences with people that are halfway across the world. So being able to interact with people that I definitely would not interact with any other time, unless maybe the company paid for them to come to me or I went to them or, you know, even on a phone call. Um, I think a modern workplace uh, powered through technology to be able to work with a, a wider group of people much easier, a button click on somebody's face and say video chat um, really is, is something I think is very valuable. Yeah, so so I'm going to piggyback onto your statement. This is the second time you brought up that situation that you're able to remediate from the treadmill. Um, so you both are are a little bit younger than I. Let's let's what? Let's, let's let's say that. Um, so I kind of chuckled when that when that thing happened, that event happened where we needed to make a quick pivot and a change for this customer because I, I thought of days of old when when something like that would happen my phone would ring and it would be buzzing in my pocket. I'd have to grab all my backpacks and stuff, go out into the hallway, answer it, find out what's going on, find out what needed to be done. Then go find an outlet and sit on the floor on the corner. It, 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 we call, used to call it desperate row. There's this people sitting on the floor, miserable because they're missing their sessions, troubleshooting or fixing something or trying to get a hold of somebody to do that. And it was just of, I got a message. I went into Teams. I teamsed you. You said you're going to take care of it. You took care of it. Message went out to the customer. It was like the customer service. I'm not saying not self-promoting what you did. The customer service was like phenomenal. But if you think of it, though, the customer who was having the challenge had something that was very impactful to their workflow fixed in no time. So I, I definitely agree with you that that is part of a modern workplace. Mr. Snyder, go. To me, and I had time to think about this because Mr. Wentworth was responding, so thank you for that. Um, quickly, in three words, I would say like a modern workplace is dispersed, flexible, and topical. And what I mean by that is dispersed, um, it's spread out, it's not traditional offices, it's not um, nine to five, it's um, uh, 24-7, 365, and it's wherever. Um, it, it's flexible in that it's not always, you're not always necessarily working on the same thing or working in the same fashion. I know at least for me being like in an office 365 consultant. So of course this stuff is around me a lot, but, 
but like I know for me, my some days I'm writing documentation all day, or but some days I'm meeting with customers, or some days I'm doing, and and all of those different actions that I'm doing are have different goals in mind and are done, and that goal is met through a different type of work, and I think the modern workplace is starting to digest what those types of work are and getting very good at being specialized at those different common work types. So it's flexible in saying that, okay, this isn't how everyone works and this isn't how um, every industry works, but it's flexible so that it can meet all those industries and it can meet all of those people. Um, but then it's also topical. And that last one I would say is there because when you think of a modern workplace, and the fact that it's very and everyone is very dispersed, what people need um, that will help them do their job most effectively and the quickest is stuff that is topical. When I go into a team site or I go into a project site or whatever, and I'm working on, let's say, uh, the the design document for a a customer, I probably want to be looking at my discovery documentation and but i don't want to be looking at discovery or design documentation or uh deployment documentation for a customer three months prior i want to be looking at what's topical and in the modern workplace i think is starting to tap into what's topical for a person where they are when when they're there um so that they can do their job quicker um, because if you think about like why we use these applications or why we work with these things, it's because they help us do our job quicker. And to us, things that save time are things that have value, right? Time is money, et cetera. So I think like those are really the three big things a lot of workplaces. And I think it's great for people who like and are passionate for their job. Um, because they're able to put boundaries around like work-life balance and being connected and they love they love what they're doing and it's not a job to them. It is their life and they they like that life. Um, where I think it could be problematic maybe is that if if you're not your knowledge worker and you don't enjoy where you're at or you don't want to be where you're at, and that's where I think maybe a little bit more um, thought can be put towards like how do you enrich those experiences and don't make it a situation where, uh, I'm getting, or someone's getting uh, a bunch of messages from a, a mean customer at 3 a.m. because they haven't responded in five minutes, right? Um, and just further perpetuating their disdain for their job or what have you. So um, I think it's a a great thing and it's a valuable thing to be like that dispersed, flexible, and topical. It's just something that you you want to be able to to put your hands around and set boundaries with. And and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, but also within Teams, uh, you're able to set like a do not disturb setting and and also put people that can get through that. So they're they they are building these things that um, allow you to be connected, but also giving you the user the control to still put boundaries around that for your work-life balance. And I think the modern workplace that can do those three things efficiently, but also still give you balance to your life is so valuable. Like just being able to do that for a, a user in a, a knowledge worker position in a company is so valuable to them, in my opinion, that it's just going to be crazy. So 
um, like the modern workplace. <laughs> I know I, I got tangential on that too, but like um, it, it really is just like being connected always, um, but being able to not be at times when you want and being able to, to control that for yourself. Sounds Be like flexible your, for yourself. That sounds like your first book topic. <laughs> <laughs> Self-publish it. We'll get it on Amazon. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I need, I need titles for autobiography. No, I'm kidding. I um, <laughs> it's I could tell like just the modern workplace. It, it, you know how passionate I am about it. But I do. Um, it. I even, I even had a note here. It's like make sure he doesn't go too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it's it's interesting. Uh, just mostly about like. Um, how it changes how people work and it really in the way it hasn't changed how people work if you think about it it's it's people have changed how they work and now we have these tools that help us work in the way that we've already changed or the way that we want to work so that's um, kind of yeah for sure i, I i'm 100 percent on board with that this kind of segues into like a, a, another topic which we have on our list and one of the things that we've been hearing at ignite for the last two years. And one of the things around sessions of being able to empower people to do things and give them the tools. And, and I sat through, I mean, I love that messaging. In fact, the org that I'm associated with, you know, we talk about co-development and co-deployment and, and things like that, like at a really, I mean, that's core to what we believe in because we believe in making sure that you get what you want and you can maintain and operate what you want, right? So there's the phrase of citizen developers that you hear over and over again from Microsoft. And, and I, I like that they put that air quote again, cute little tag on it. And it's true. They're, you know, regular computing citizens who are empowered to make something. The question I have, and, and I think I'll, I'll drop a little bit of opinion. I'm going to, I'm going to funnel this one to Mr. Wentworth first, because I know some real life experiences he's had with this. Are we empowering people to be citizen developers? Maybe a little too much. Do we think we're giving them a little bit too much leeway? And it's not a control thing. It's a how we're spending our time and how are we supporting it? And are we doing the right technical thing too? So I'll, I'll chime in a little bit last here, uh, but uh, Mr. Wentworth, give me your opinion on that. Yeah. So the, uh, the topic item, you know, has, has Microsoft enabled users and citizen developers specifically too much. Um, I would say no with an asterisk. Um, I think that Microsoft has empowered users, and I think that's kind of two separate things, right? Users and also citizen developers kind of separately. I think they have empowered them a lot. And in some use cases, it can be dangerous and can step on the toes of, of other um, non-citizen developers, as I'll call them, um, more you know professional kind of development projects. But I think that with that, Microsoft has made huge advancements in um, enforcing that the rules of the company and the rules of uh, the the industry and you know at large is followed. So you know if you the, the good example for users I can think of is is you know team sites, right? Giving anybody the ability to create a team site seems awesome in theory. In practice, 
it depends. <laughs> and that, that's a consultant word, but it highly depends, right? It depends on your workforce. Are you a workforce of 20 uh, tightly, um, you know, a group of people that communicate well uh, and often? If so, then sure, make every, anybody create a team site. But if you're a group of 20,000, anybody creating a group site is going to, you know, or a team site is going to very, very, very rapidly just unwound and going to be a mess and just throw it away and make a new one. Um, but I, there's also controls and, and procedures and policy in place to allow your rules to be followed by, but still giving people flexibility to do what they need to do within reason. So I don't think they've empowered people too much um, as long as the organization puts in the effort to make the policy and procedures and standards that they talk about in theory, in practice, and and don't just publish a document and make somebody sign it that says you're not going to create a team site unless you get it approved. Put the technology in place to not let people put a team site in place unless it's like digitally approved. Um, so that's my asterisk. I think no, as long as the IT staff does their their due diligence in enforcing the the rules and regulations of them. Uh, everyone being able to create a team site uh, is great for tenants with a hundred users, but obviously it's not great for uh, a tenant with thousands and tens of thousands of users. And I think like that talks about like that whole flexible thing, like that's there and that you can do that. Um, but there are channels to which you can control that and manage who can do that, or you can configure it to be like self-service. And I think, um, I would say I tend to agree with you um, on pretty much everything you said. However, I, I would break my answer into two separate approaches and uh, two separate points, uh, at least, and one's more philosophical. And that's I cannot, for the life of me, understand because um, from my perception, there's a lot of backlash from like the very, very highly proficient um developers that build these very complex applications that do these really great things and and whatever and they're like oh we, the power apps is terrible or this is bad and why would we have this we are allowing people to do these and they're not great and that's taking away my job yada 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 what i what i don't understand is that why why the mentality is not ooh finally i don't have to solve these simple challenges or these simple problems um, because my end users can do it. So now I can, I can solve these very complex and very cool and very, um, hard, like difficult to work on problems. And that might just be my type of personality with what I like to work on. But that, that would be my mentality if I was like a very hardcore developer was that, Hey, I, my users are now doing things that I was doing. That's great. Now I can fix something even harder. Um, and that's like the, that part of it. But the other side of it is just like exactly what you said. It's just um, understanding that if you empower users, you need to also be able to manage that and maintain that. So I definitely agree on on what you're saying. And I, I think that tuning of like releasing the feature, but then also releasing the ability to control it is just paramount to making sure that we can have citizen developers, but rein them in. So, so I'm going to make a statement, okay? Then I'm going to clarify it, but I'm going to make a statement and see how you guys respond, right? So somebody finish this statement. If you have not looked back in history, you are what to what? 
doomed to repeat it. Yes, correct. Right. So we are, there, there's something, someone of, of my length of career, when I, I stop and I look back and I see application, Visual Studio, .NET, all this stuff developed, developed, really intense, crazy specialty stuff, right? And then we're like, oh, there's these small things. You know, we're going to put a platform together that allows you to handle that. So I hit the way back rewind button. And there, there's, there's times when certain messaging comes out about enabling citizens developers, specifically with Power Apps, not just enabling them to like turn on Teams and you know manage their own channels and what have you. Um, specifically creating things for them and their people. And I'm going to say one word, and then I'll, I'll maybe listen for the laughter, but Microsoft, two words, Microsoft Access. 100% same use case many, many, many years ago where you had your crazy SQL servers and your DBAs and all your people writing all your queries and all this stuff. We just want a platform to allow smaller things to happen. We want a platform that we can create rich interfaces because if you remember, they used to be able to create dashboards and clicky buttons and drop down stuff inside of Access. And, and it, it's, it was a veritable nightmare once people realized that that's not a platform that's sustainable. Now, again, going with the theme of asterisks, um, I, I, I would think that they have learned from history to not place themselves in that type of a situation specifically because the back ends are differently and you know we're at a different time but it's oddly um it's oddly reminiscent of the data space and being able to enable people to do things with data at a um with an application layer that's like something somebody can just drag and drop and there you go um so uh, real quick before i give you my opinion on citizen developers, any thoughts on that? Do you, do you see that connection there at all, or am I just too many gray hairs? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll i be the first to admit that Microsoft's made a lot of mistakes, and I think they would be too, right? Um, and I think what Access messed up, maybe, uh, was just that it like it wasn't flexible. Um, and I think that, that is maybe just a more traditional Microsoft thing, where they, they've become more flexible. But I do, I mean, you you give the access of pro, uh, you give the example of project uh, of access that ha that's happened a bunch of times in old Microsoft. If you think about like back to Visual Basic, Visual Basic was supposed to be this programming language for the end user, and it's it, it you can't give like programming to an end user, right? Um, and so like very clearly, I think that just comes from like a disconnect between the person making the tool and the people using the tool. And I think over time, um, at least in the space, um, not only Microsoft, but a lot of the, the like big players um, have gotten better at understanding that you can't just build something and force feed it to your your demographic or whoever you're selling it to. You have to bring them into the picture to help you understand what their need, needs are. And I think think because of the day and age we are in now with just like social media and being able to always be connected and be on forums and be wherever with like the blogs and stuff they they now can be like super in touch with their users because they can connect with them literally 24 7 um and i think because of that that has allowed us to have these new citizen developer type 
situations that can be supported and can be um, useful for even the simplest of, of end users. So I, I do think there's a risk with all of that, like doing citizen development type stuff. And we've they failed many times before, but I think um, they're getting better at it. They keep failing. I mean, um, for sure. yeah. <laughs> especially yeah, in like, sure. the, the workflow space. But um, I think they're getting closer every time. Yeah, I was actually gonna gonna bring up something when Justin was talking. I am, you know, you know, just side note. I am not a developer, but I pretend to be sometimes. And um, one thing that that Justin brought up that I was gonna play devil's advocate because I agree with you, um, you know, to in in my mindset. But when I put my developer hat on for a second, I think, you know, the point you were bringing up about how people that are hardcore.net people getting scared about power apps or not scared, but, you know, confrontational with it in a way. Um, my point to that would be, you know, it's a slippery slope, right? So as power apps advances, more and more workloads get pulled out from somebody who's doing .net development and into to power apps. And the problem you have with that is you have a hardcore developer that's trained to look for things that are going to be problematic from a security perspective or from a usability perspective or whatever that may be. And if that slippery slope keeps moving forward in such a way where they're taking all of that away from that, that hardcore trained developer, that would be my fear. Now, I think that there's two sides of the fence. So my point of um, where you need to put controls in place to allow people to fit inside your policies, sometimes that's not possible, right? So you need to draw a line in the sand somewhere, and it's a very weird line that's going to be very jagged and crooked, but somewhere that line needs to exist where this is a power app and this is a full-fledged project, application, whatever. Uh, and that line in the sand needs to exist somewhere, and you need to at least train your non-developer developers enough to know where that line sort of is, or at least I'm approaching it and ask somebody. Um, so that's one side of, of my point. But the other side of my point is I think Microsoft to date is doing a very good job at making Power Apps powerful, but not a .NET replacement. I mean, there's a there's a place and a time for a Power App. And even in my mind, when somebody's trying to spec something, like I'm, I'm in a, an architecture sec session and, and they're talking, at some point something clicks in my head and I can't tell you what it is. I couldn't write it down. I couldn't give it or teach it but at some point something in my head clicks and i'm like stop this is not a power app that's Please why you're an this. architect that's <laughs> why you're an architect that's what architects do they recognize at some point i'm just like no that we're, we're past that line i know that line's jagged and it's weird and somebody might disagree with me but if i'm going to be on this project it's not going to be a power app we need a dotnet developer so i think there's it's some of that ball is in microsoft's court to make sure that they don't encroach too much um, and I think they might have not done it enough with access and, and hopefully they don't do it too much with power apps. Hopefully they find that middle ground because as it is, it's a great application for exactly your use case, which is why I didn't bring it up. You need to get some of that, you know, lower end work off of your high cost developers. Right. Um, but you want to make sure that that they don't empower power apps too much. And that's weird, but it's true. Um, and then also you need to train your individuals at least to be architect minded enough to know sort of kind of when they're in the 10% plus or minus of that jagged line to at least have a meeting with your developer friends and say, hey, this is my use case. Is this a power app or is this a you thing? Uh, and let let the trained developer architects or developers just, you know, wrench turners or engineers or whatever you want to call them uh, make that decision or help that help you make that decision yeah for sure so so quanti quantifying my asterisks um 
and I'll try to keep it short because you guys kind of covered a lot of what I was going to say. So I know we're running long on time for this, but it's episode one. So I kind of threw that meter out the door here. So um, agree on a lot of points that you both made. Um, the, the concern I have about empowering citizen developers is um, a couple things, you know, real quick again redundant systems, redundant solutions, making sure there's a, you need to make sure there's a framework from an organization and the business process that could justify what they need to do, right? So larger organizations have those, smaller ones do not. Smaller ones need to be nimble, so that's usually not a problem or a challenge to, that, that happens, right? So where what I've seen is a lot of people start building and they lack the they lack some innate bit about them. Like they, they feel empowered. They are creating the form. They bound to some sort of a data on the back end, but then they just kind of like stumble. And some people have the ability to pick themselves up and go bang an answer. Yes, I said bang an answer. Um, or they have the ability to go and like reach out for help, get a partner involved. There's things like that's where I think that power apps in an organization is great. Where I think it goes crooked is when the messaging is, is yes, you got it. You're licensed for it. Go have your people do it. Sit through a couple, uh, learn power apps in 30 days over lunch in 30 minutes. Um, you're, you're missing something, right? You might be able to make something specific and tailored and targeted, but where I think businesses are missing it is, is what is the true cost of that application, right? If somebody's doing something on their own time, we're gonna like totally wipe out work-life balance because they're doing it on their own time. If they're doing it on company time, you know, what is that What is that true cost of that application? And that's often missed, right? So when I'm talking to people that wanna do those kind of things, I, we bring that up. It's like sometimes, if there's something really complex, something you really wanna do that's really, really unique, like have an application that's gonna be scanning barcodes and taking pictures and pulling geo orb, uh, geo orbits, ge uh, geo uh, location, uh, equating it off to an Esri spatial system and bringing it all in and surfacing it, like this real complex thing, I think Power Apps can do that because it doesn't require anything other than setting up connectors the proper way and having things done right. That end user or that citizen developer is going to struggle and they're going to miss things. And, and there's going to be holes where it's not filled. So you hear of organizations and firms saying, oh, we build Power Apps. You're like, well, aren't we supposed to build them ourselves? Well, yeah, you are, but not those kinds. So now we have like multiple tiers of confusion. So I think, I think that we, the, the approach is great and I love it and I like getting tech in people's hands and, and that's wonderful. And I don't, and I don't want that to go away. I'm just wary of use case, right? It's, it's back to what you both have spoke to is making sure that the use case matches. And if the use case matches, do you really have the ability to deploy said Power app that's embedded with Power BI and has a flow component on the back end because there's more to a Power app than just making a nice little you know tablet interface, right? So you know being cognizant of that and knowing when you pass through a gate, that's a gate you're on the other side of that gate and you don't belong there, um, and not destroy the messaging of we're empowering you. You know th that's kind of a it's a weird thing in, in my opinion to try to navigate. 
Um, it's not, I can easily say it, but you know, we don't want to offend. And we also don't want to counter the messaging that Microsoft has of let's empower citizen developers. Go I was ahead. going to say on that point, I think like from my, like from my experience and like people I've worked with, I think where um, you see the spectrum for like citizen developers when it comes to specifically like Office 365 is that you have two different like major um, I would say situations in terms of like there's a there's a company that is, is at a very high maturity level when it comes to like their line of business and business critical uh, applications and they are meeting the needs of their users from a business critical situation where I think the like problem with citizen developers that go too far occurs is when oh the, this is a traditional organization that because office 365 is so easy to get moved to and we say so easy and there, there's obviously a lot of steps to it but because it, it it does solve a lot of problems they're like oh here's this whole new ecosystem where everyone can work in and um it does all these things and they're like oh and there's flow that can do all of these things that Oh wait, we don't have a PTO request system. Let's go build a PTO request system in in a power app. You can do it, and it, it it's feasible for like smaller companies. But that's not something you would want to build for a twenty, thirty thousand user organization that already has a a time entry system, right? Um, and so you find that like these bigger orgs that have like these very built out like um, uh, dedicated applications for line of business apps. Um, don't have as much as the citizen developer issue where they go too far because, and you think they might because there's just more of them, but they don't because they already have the major needs taken care of. And it's just those users who are power users wanting to meet those small things like, oh, I need to get an approval for this document and just write a quick approval flow or, or, or power automate, sorry, uh, with that as opposed to where it's a non-mature organization or organization that's just getting to 365 and doesn't understand that Power Apps is more towards that end-user, user-centric sort of quick um, and dirty application, but it's not necessarily built for business-critical line-of-business apps. Um, and I think, like, for me, that's where I've seen, like, the biggest disparity is in it's just where the organization is in terms of their maturity. Yeah, but the messaging that Microsoft has, like um, it was Ignite last year for mm -hmm. Power Apps and Functions. They had a maintenance guy over in Britain for the double-decker buses being able to like do mission-critical fixing of broke-down buses. And they had this big use case and all the money it saved. It. And I love that. I applaud that. I want that. If there's people out there like that, go for it. Do it. I'm just mentioning that it's it could be a slippery slope, right? Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's 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 powerful, but with power comes great responsibility, right? Yep. And um, when you try and market something that um, you want to be powerful at multiple different levels, but then also really targeted towards like end users, um, there's that disconnect there. So I think that just creates some conflict in like what they've published this to be and to, this to do um, and who they're marketing it against that just makes some of these situations arise. Um, but I think, like you said, it's definitely a slippery slope. Uh, I'm just interested to see where we are in a couple years uh, because um, I don't know if you guys have had this situation yet um, doing like tenant to tenant migrations and you have to migrate those now. Like migrating 
uh, power automates and power uh, power app stuff is it's a completely different ball game. Um, and you find like you find when citizen developers have gone too far when you start doing those type of exercises. Um, so it's definitely a, a prevalent thing, and I think it's not just in like the power app space. It's it's everything um, that is user centric. Um, there's there's going to be little holes or little gaps that they just have to figure out how to approach from a functionality perspective. But absolutely. Um, anything else on this topic? Can we, we moving on. This is about ignite, but not. So I kind of I kind of <laughs> try to try to tie it back in. New is title. That the, yeah, that's the title of the show. About ignite, but not. <laughs> Um, so we have a couple more things and I know we're running long on time. So, uh, one of the things, uh, Mr. Wentworth, feel free to skip this one. If you don't want to chime in, um, favorite conference over like ever or tech related. Well, let's do both ever. And then tech related. Okay. So a little pony conference. It'll, it'll be funny if it's the same answer for both. <laughs> it's just ignite. <laughs> I don't know why I asked for clarification, but I mean, I I would say for me, um, in terms of like impact and in in like driving like the passion about the career I was in, being able to go last year, um, definitely had a profound I would say impact. And you would say, well, why is a conference having a profound impact on your life, Justin? But um, I think just like seeing the scale and 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 like how um how passionate everyone was in the community like had that impact on me and i think because of that ignite was definitely my best one and i and i hate that that's uh, the answer given this is the ignite but not ignite um podcast um but if if i were to say okay something else other than ignite um i went to a couple years ago a a small conference called code mash in sandusky ohio which is basically like this um this civilian started like organized conference that's now like a couple thousand people and you go there and there's just the like sessions around development from everything from like office 365 and sharepoint and or like sql stuff all the way up to like very very like edge case niche like couple hundred uh users uh programming languages in, in like a session on that and i think that was really cool because you got to see um, how all the other silos or other parts of the world in our industry work. Um, and so that, I gave you two answers, um, <laughs> but that I would say definitely Night was the most impactful, but I would say the most interesting was Code Mash, which I, I went to a couple of years ago. Cool. Mr. Wentworth, you, you haven't really done many conferences. Um, you want to chime in or you want to skip on this one? I'll chime in a little bit because it's Ignite but not Ignite podcast. So I haven't been fortunate enough to go to Ignite. I'm super jelly that you're there, uh, Michael. Um, I'm I'm hopefully going uh, sometime soon. Um, definitely some, something I want to experience. But I have gone to a couple of conferences that are tech and non-tech related. Um, I think the last one is most fresh of mind, which is probably why it's, you know, coming up as my favorite right now. But it was more a leadership conference. Um, so not really tech uh, related, but it's one of my other passions other than tech and airplanes is um, working with people and not really working with people from a 
business perspective and being a better manager or leader or something like that, even though that's something I'm passionate about, it's, it's more so like, um, why people do things and why certain managerial techniques work and why some don't and why some work for some people and why some don't work for other people. Um, and that being a, you know, a, a huge part of, of my career goal was to be a better leader and be a better, um, example for others, not even if I'm leading, just a better example for other people. Um, I find that conference very helpful because it focused on not really industry and, and not really tech or anything like that, but it focused on how to work with people of, of any industry and not to be manipulative, but more to be, you know, to, to get what you need done in a way that doesn't make you come across as bad, being a good leader. So I think that was a very great conference I went to. Yeah, fantastic. It sounds like uh, sounds like you got something out of it. If it sticks with you, it's definitely going to be on your list. Um, so, so I get torn, right? So I've been doing the conference world for quite a while on both sides of the aisle as attendee, as presenter, as um, as you know, organization representing uh, organizations at conferences, uh, Cisco and. Microsoft and you know so I think like what what is my favorite I it's hard for me to pin that down not because they all blend together because some are very similar to others but there were there was a time when Microsoft had a bazillion conferences for each one of their uh, verticals or, or product lines and so there was this one called MMS Microsoft Management Summit that conference was near and dear to my heart. Um, not because I got to be a presenter on the stage with a lot of high powered people several years and you know, I was able to do certain things um, around that space. Not because I was, you know, my companies were able to send me, not because, you know, anything other than community. It was, it was such, a, such a community around what we did, right? And so I would do MMS in tech ed. And TechEd wound up absorbing MMS because Microsoft started paring down their 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 conferences. So got absorbed into MMS, got absorbed into TechEd for a couple years, and then boom, here's Ignite, right? So when I think of what's my favorite, you know, as as a partner, Microsoft partner, Inspire is a really good. Uh, event and it's business driven, but the messaging is there. What's happening? It's that's a wonderful event uh, for partners. But Ignite is seems to be what surfaces to the top of my mind, and not because Ignite, but not Ignite, but because when I take my breakfast and I have my backpack and my hands are full, and I put my breakfast down at a table, I need to go get a coffee and a juice. I feel comfortable looking to the person next to me saying, you mind watching my bag? And if anyone knows me, that never happens. I walk away and not even looking over my shoulder, we'll go get a juice and a coffee or a tea and come back. And it's, it's, there's, there's a respect amongst everyone there. There's a common goal of what, what we are here for. And it goes beyond just I'm here to absorb materials. It's it's community. It's looking out for each other. It's enabling each other. It's helping each other, and it's just amazing that 
the amount of people that you meet here. I have friends to this day that I met at MMS. I have friends that I met since they've had Ignite that were LinkedIn on LinkedIn and we messaged back and forth because we sat down and had a meaningful conversation together and we maintained that conversation. That never would have happened if I wouldn't have been there. Um, I've been to several architecture boot camps. I've been to several architecture certification uh, events. And it's, you, you find, especially in the Microsoft ecosystem, you find the people are more apt to have their hand, reach their hand out and say, hey, I'll help you. Or, hey, we have a common goal. What do you think of this? And your opinion's not the same as mine. Your gender is not the same as mine. Your faith is not the same as mine. Where you come from, ethnicity is not the same as mine, but you know what's the same? We have a common goal, and we're on this spinning globe doing tech at the same point in time in history, and let's let's do the best we can. And to me, that speaks volumes. So, you know, again, I'm in the midst of it all right now. This is hump day for Ignite Wednesday. <laughs> um, my feet are, are sore, my body is tired, but I am going to go at it again tomorrow because I know the experience that I have here, it will stay with me. And you know, I hope everybody gets a chance to at least once get down here. I've been lucky enough to be down here, to been to a night since it's been an inception and all the tech eds and all the MMSs, it's, it's meaningful. And, uh, and I was kind of pleased to hear that Justin, you know, you said profound change in, in what you see. It definitely puts a spin on on not just, the, you know, the, the organization is amazing. And this is not drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, the stuff that that organization, and I say that organization, like they're, I mean, we're, they're, <laughs> they're literally right there, I'm pointing at them. Um, Microsoft does is, it makes me feel proud to be part of what's happening. And it makes me feel good because they give back so much. It's about, you know, inclusivity. It's about making sure that the world is a better place because of what they can do. So um, hats off to the Microsoft team and hats off to all those who share that common goal. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Ignite today. Ask me tomorrow after I walk another 15,000 steps, maybe different. <laughs> hey, as long as you stay cool, my friend. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I only had sure. to go out. I only had to go outside twice today. Yeah, hey, cool. uh, hey, Mike. Since you've been at Ignite so many times, so you, so you pick Ignite. I'm going to make the question harder for you. What year was your favorite Ignite conference? Well, 2020, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and don't don't say last year, just because you still like the backpack. Backpacks <laughs> aside. Last year's backpack, so good. I I had to I had to buy my own because I didn't get to go, and I'm jealous. But I digress on my jealousness. What year was your your favorite ignite? Yeah, so um, it's a mixed bag. Well, this year's not over, so I can't include this year yet because <laughs> so that 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 makes this year off the hook. So it very well may be this year, but um, I I, I want to say. I'm going to say last year, and there's there's a couple. Last year was a very there were some intense things from the organization I was associated with at that time that was going on, um, and I was able to bring a contingent of of really cool people here, and we we really had a good time, 
and we we kind of bumped into some of the other departments that were at the organization we were with and we, we created a common smash and grab joke and it, it created a really good tight bonding uh between us and i think we had i think it was really good i, I and, and quite frankly just to call it out mr snyder and i were at that same one and i was actually really happy to see since he was never at one of these to see how he took to the event and there, there was a couple other people there how they took to it and their their impressions of it um so it was kind of nice to not be a shepherd but, but be, be kind of like kind of floating around and seeing you know what what how people took to it um the one thing i will say and i'm gonna put this on record for all of history and time that zeros and ones are gonna be stored on the disc that this podcast is at let me get my um, i i do not did not get any propeller swag any other kind of junky things like that because i want to go home and not be murdered by my family by bringing buckets of <laughs> crap home so so you know I, i've learned over the years to like hold back on that kind of a thing um the one thing that i am bringing home is the backpack you alluded to it for this year um the reveal show that happens with the um online about the you know the old channel nine guys that that do uh we can put a link into it but it's past so it's, it's useless um they did the reveal and i was kind of under underwhelmed and everyone knows day one if you don't get in on sundays is dual backpack day so i kind of had this grudge against carrying two backpacks i wasn't going out to the car because where i had to park was like so far away so I had to carry two backpacks and I had to carry the one I was not a fan of. And, I, and I'm saying I'm not a fan of it because I loved last year so much. <laughs> so I've talked to you about this and you saw what I did last year. You have to sacrifice the first 24 hours of your trip to Ignite. Bring a bag that you don't want anymore and get rid of that bag the second you get your Ignite. <laughs> and you're only carrying one bag of that that is true but i didn't have any that i was willing to get rid of <laughs> put in a grocery bag out of, for all i care <laughs> well i didn't know when i was going to get through the swag <laughs> shop but yeah, little did yeah. i know it was going to be like first thing uh but i i meant i mentioned to mr wentworth as 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 the day went on i started like putting ancillary things inside of there like extra juice or something like that for whatever and aside from it being very tall and I don't know. I have no opinion on it. I just love the one from last year so much. So much so that I actually did the same thing Mr. Wentworth did is go buy a backup one for when this one fails. Yeah, I actually might get one another new one soon because mine's starting to blow out on the top part of it because I've, I've used that to not just like work, but I've used it to travel like abroad and it, it help it holds up really well, but there's just that one like spot where the stitch is coming out, but it's like, it's such a great bag. Like it has the insulated part in it and mm -hmm. sorry, sorry, Mr. Wentworth for uh, bragging a little bit about last year's bag, but um, they'll make another good one for sure. So get, get to ignite next year. So they gave, an, they gave you an option this year that, that this okay. wasn't publicized. You had an option between like a sl over the shoulder, one, one arm sling mm -hmm. bag. Or the, and I was going to go for that because I was like, you know, kind of like, eh, I, I like my pack from last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it just seemed to, I mean, I didn't have anything that would fit in it. I mean, <laughs> I carry too much crap, I guess. So 
for sake of time, we'll wrap it up with uh, three travel habits each, and then we'll sign off. So who wants to go first? So I'm gonna I'm gonna do two serious ones, and then I'm gonna throw in a joke one. Uh, just always counting the amount of seats from where your seat is on an airplane to the exit. Um, that way, if you can, if you crash for whatever reason and cannot see, um, you can feel to where the exit is. Um, super helpful. Um, I'll give one that's more positive in light. Get TSA pre-check or global entry. That's it a great one. Makes your traveling exponentially mostly because you don't have to deal with as many people. Don't let it expire. Don't let it expire. (laughs) I'm still sitting on that. And then the third one, travel habit, is placing random objects on airplanes so that you can tell one of your other friends what tail number you put this random object on the airplane (laughs) um, so that they could possibly find it maybe seven years when they get to fly the same plane. But those are my three. All sorts of FAA violations. There. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's on record forever. It's fine. I will say we do not condone the actions of our guests. So <laughs> no airplanes were harmed in the, the making of this podcast. Of the, the making of this podcast. Yes. Uh, Mr. Wentworth, what do you got? Oh man, I love the TSA pre-check one. Um, I got that, and it changed my life. Okay, so reality reality is that's not a habit. That's a that's a that's a way to make your life easier. The habit is walking through TSA pre-check every time I travel because I have TSA pre-check. Actually, it it is actually even better because for some reason and the way my body is for some reason, I always get flagged and have to get additional pat downs, and not having to deal with that is just a blessing in its own. Um, plus, not having to take my belt and shoes off, which is just annoying. Um, but no serious habits for me, I think, uh, number one, um, is I always get to the airport super, super, super obnoxiously early. And that's <laughs> someone else here does. Yes. I think we have, well, I have different reasons. At least I think so. Um, I obviously am paranoid about missing the flight, um, because I don't want to deal with how you change all of that ever. Um, but the reason I, I do that is I just like exploring the airport. Uh, especially if it's one I haven't been to before or if it's one I've just had to run through. Um, I like going through and checking out all the little shops and I usually don't buy anything but a big water bottle. But um, I, I, I enjoy just, you know, exploring the, the, the airport itself. Um, and uh, another habit that I do at least is I like to explore whatever city I'm in um, if I can. Um, so I like to, to get in and, and have enough time to kind of explore the city um, if it's feasible to do so, even if it's a smaller city that actually I think has kind of the the best, you know, yeah, things to do around. Um, I'm not a big city kind of guy myself, so I like the smaller type stuff. Um, and kind of going hand in hand with that is I always pick a restaurant that I don't recognize and, and wouldn't see back home um, to kind of, you know, expand my horizons a little bit in that area too. Uh, and then and number so, three... So you're telling oh, me you, you wouldn't rent the same car that you drive every day when you go to a different city? No, what, especially especially, <laughs> especially when you get a free upgrade. Oh, man, I'm still uh, mad about that. Like, you get to go to Ignite, and they offer you, like, an Audi or a BMW or whatever it was, and you just didn't go for it. And what? I don't understand. What? What are you doing? I know. That was my reaction. What did, what did you return? Did you, did you turn it down for a truck? No, that's a <laughs> You got this. What did he get? 
Infinite. It's, you just get another Jeep. <laughs> 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 knowing, knowing Mike, he probably bought a like temporary Batman metal <laughs> decal to put on that Jeep for the season and night. I will oh. not doubt it. <laughs> I love so, it, though. So, uh, side note to that reasoning. I'll tell you the reasoning. I knew I'd be zigzagging all over the humid part of the world. And especially driving, I just want to get in, and I know where everything's at. I don't have to worry about, like, you know, I just I just know <laughs> where everything's at. I mean. Speaking of habits, creature of habit right here. Yep, 100%. I like routine, and that did not disrupt my routine. So, sorry, back to you. Oh, uh, man. Um, I would have I got the fancy car, but that's just me. Um, and I think the last travel habit that's sort of funny, and it's really hard for me to do, and I don't do it all the time, so I don't know if I can call it a habit, but it's something that I try to make a habit, at least. Um, so, me and, and my personality type, I'm more of a, let's get the job done, let's interact. I love talking to people. I wouldn't give up being a consultant for anything. Um, but... I am more of an introverted kind of person. So after my work is done, I'm very open when I work. But when my work is done, what I want to do is go home or back to the hotel room, I should say, and get on my laptop and work or watch a movie or Netflix or whatever it may be um, and kind of zone out for a while. Um, But what I try to do is be more social, even though that's not really my nature. Um, obviously it is for people close to me. Um, so, you know, if, if we, the three of us on the call are going on a, a trip together, I expect us to to have some sort of shenanigans, but, um, I like to get into things I normally wouldn't. So, you know, maybe asking some of the clients to go out and, and do something or stay a little bit late and work on something or, you know, um, you know, just exploring, you know, the city with somebody else or going to a restaurant that they recommend. I don't know, something like that. I try to make it a habit to be more, extroverted um and that is good for me because i'm not normally like that uh it is very draining but i'm not normally like that it's also good to interact with the client or if you're you know traveling with coworkers that you don't normally don't interact with it builds that relationship a little bit better than just you know working and then going and hiding in your hotel room like i would so desperately like to do um so <laughs> that's something that i don't always do um for sure uh, especially you don't sometimes get the opportunity to do that uh, but if the opportunity arises I definitely like to, to be more extroverted uh, while I'm traveling um, than what I would like to do, which is hide in the hotel room. <laughs> Very good. Anything else you got? Uh, probably, but that's three and we're running short on time. So you can yeah, you can go uh, ahead now. So I can make it real quick. I, I don't have any routines or OCD or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> Uh, there's too many to list from from habits. Um, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a get there early kind of person too. Um, I know that I have lots to do, and if I'm just like flying out the next day and it's, you know, not an early flight, I, I just don't find it productive sitting in a hotel room working or going to, or having a big breakfast and then just kind of chilling out. What I get to the airport, I get past security find an outlet if I need one and I just start working. So I'm, I'm very similar to, to you in that, that capacity. Um, so much so that there was a person that we were traveling together going somewhere and we decided to take the whole afternoon and work from the airport. So um, that, yeah, I'm a little weird like that. But one of the things that I used to be a window 
guy, but I'm more of an owl guy now just because I like the room. Uh, so one of the things that I do from, from like a habit perspective is um, I check the boxes in my head of like seat numbers and all the different other things that, that, you know, goes into my quirkiness. And I try to make sure that I plan for getting from A to B, from gate to gate. Like I plan everything out in advance, uh, knowing where rental car places, they're not a sponsor, so I'm not going to say their name. Uh, so plowing through like the, the routine and logistics of things, I have that worked out tenfold in my head. Um, so that's one thing I always do. Uh, one of the other things I've been doing recently, and I had, had this uh, conversation with Mr. Wentworth earlier, I've been bringing my Master Chief Xbox controller with me. And you might say why. Um, I'm not bringing my Xbox, just bringing the controller. So I like the whole suite of Xbox and you know, staying with the theme of, of Microsoft and Ignite. I like Xbox better than a lot of the other platforms because I like the, the solution. But what's really cool is, is I can bind that to my Windows 10. And I can play games on my Surface that... I normally would not be able to bring with me. And I'm not a huge gamer, but when I travel, I find that it's an opportunity to not just stare at the TV or work, but take a little bit of time, decompress from the day, maybe run through some courses on some games. I'm not going to name any ones, any specific game, but run through some courses, maybe be Master Chief a little bit or, you know, what have you. And I find that... You know, it doesn't aid my sleep or make me feel like I accomplished free time for me. It just kind of lets me disconnect. And that's one thing that I find that when I travel, I'm like a planned out A, B, C, D. This is what we need to do. Let's get through the day so I can get on a plane and get back to my family because I miss them terribly. I'm finding that this kind of like breaks that up in my in my mind. If not for 15 minutes or an hour, it's something that, that I've been trying to do, right? So that's that's a, a relatively new habit that I've I've been trying to do when I travel. Yeah, I think um, I mean there's there's a lot of studies around all of this, but like for me too, like the, the best way to not I, I hate saying the word waste time because I don't want ever to waste t- my time. Um, but I feel like like that time to be distracted, but be engaged and be instra- distracted so you don't realize you're distracted. It's just super helpful to the psyche and just super helpful to like, like you said, put a separator into your time or like take a quick break so that you're not burning yourself out. Um, and because like not even from a work perspective, but now even at like our, our life perspective, which Microsoft is still a part of, um, they're allowing you to have access to like really truly engaging and enriching experiences like video games with the same device that you use for work, which mm-hmm. is insane and it's awesome that um that just gets to be a little piece of your day right um i i don't surprisingly i don't game much um when i'm in the airport i i think um i think uh mr wentworth mentioned this a little bit um but like exploring airports is definitely something i do too and just like thinking not necessarily like going and exploring shops and stuff but like sitting at uh, a gate or sitting at a hub and, and looking at Oh, how this airport has d- does their gates differently, or how it's organized, and and how that helps for better taxiway times, and 
and all this like crazy stuff. And I know Mr. Wentworth, we've, we've talked about like how jet engines works and stuff like that. Like just going deeper in that rabbit hole of like understanding how things work. I'll just add as my third, very legal habit that I do. Um, air force, <laughs> um, it's just like understanding how air travel works is like, it, it's crazy how we've all come together as, as a world to like, Scott, like rocket people through metal tubes through the sky at incredible speed, right? Um, so That's yeah, that just my, my my last tag on for that is travel logistics. Yes. <laughs> uh, so so we'll this we'll leave it with Buzz Lightyear. Lightyear, you like falling with style because <laughs> that's what you're doing in a plane. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, very good. So uh, yeah, we're definitely long, but uh, we appreciate everyone sticking around. I uh, hope it was worth it for you. We promise in the future to be a little bit more contained. Uh, the excitement of the event and, and launching this off the ground was definitely uh, definitely a good thing. So thank you all very much. Justin, how do we stock you online? Uh, you can follow me, follow my blog at 360around365.com um, and also at just underscore in underscore office 0365. Um, that's pretty much where I post anything that I'm talking about um, that I find interesting or that i'm working on so feel free mr wentworth uh yeah mainly um i post all of my blog posts on the taste blog so i would uh follow those uh forums and keep a close eye on uh, our blog posts both both michael and i update that fairly regularly and uh, there'll be a lot of stuff coming uh, as a result of ignite i'm sure so um, most of that gets, um, or if not all of that gets sent back out on social media as well. Um, so if you follow us on social media, um, and the links for that will be, uh, provided. Um, I think that would, that would be the best place to, to stalk me. Excellent. Same with me. Uh, my personal Twitter at prime D three. So you can find me there. Uh, our show sponsor is tastelabs.net. So you'll find us there too as well. So, again, thank you all very much. Have a great night. Thank you, everyone. Stay cool, my friend.